The following sermon is from Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City at the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Manhattan. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith. Head to FAPC.org and join our email list and be sure to subscribe to FAPC in New York City, our YouTube channel. And now we invite you to breathe deep and lean into the beauty of worship with Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. Listen now for God's word to you on this Pentecost Sunday as it echoes to us from the book of Acts, chapter one, beginning with the first verse. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us, in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrena, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. Our second reading for this Pentecost Sunday also comes from the book of Acts. This passage describes a conversation that occurs among the disciples of Jesus. They've gathered in the upper room. They're concerned. Having lost Judas, there are not 12, but now 11 in their number. We pick up the dialogue as Peter, the big fisherman, describes his plan for filling the open spot in their ranks. Listen now for God's word to you as it comes to us from Acts chapter 1, beginning with the 21st verse. So one of those who have accompanied us throughout the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us to his resurrection. So they proposed two. Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justus, and Matthias. When they prayed and said, Lord, you know everyone's heart, show us which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. This is the word of God for you, 
the people of God. Thanks be to God. The first chapter of the book of Acts records an uneasy moment in the life of the early church. Jesus has left the building. Christ has ascended to heaven. According to the Apostles' Creed, he has gone to sit at the right hand of the Father. Now, this doesn't give the disciples a whole lot of comfort. Their teacher and friend is absent. Their Lord is gone. It's just us now, says Peter, Captain Obvious. The disciples look around the room. They count noses. We used to be 12, now we are but 11. Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus, is not here. After handing our precious Lord over to the Romans, Judas took his own life. We're down one disciple, and it doesn't seem right. First order of business, says Peter, we've got to get back to 12. We've got tradition to uphold, standards to maintain, and besides, our, our picnic basket has a dozen place settings. We need another witness to, to round out the team, another soul who can testify with us to the resurrected one. This whole church thing isn't going to work unless we get back to 12. Well, how do we do that? How do we pick a new disciple? It's a good question. Up until now, Jesus chose the disciples, even Judas, which makes you think. Topic for a future sermon, maybe. Jesus tapped each one of the original 12 on the shoulder and said, come and follow. How do we pick a replacement disciple? I can sense you leaning forward. This is the sort of thing that Presbyterians care about, a lot. We love a good process. The church needs a new class of deacons, trustees, and elders. We'll crank up the nominating committee, ask the congregation to submit names, vet the candidates, shape a balanced slate, call the congregation to have a vote. Not done yet. Require the candidates to go to classes, write their statements of faith, attend retreats, and get examined by the session. Sound familiar? We are Presbyterians, by golly, and that means we have to have a careful process ready to hand for this sort of thing, decently and in order. That's how we do it here. That's how it's always been done. Right back to the very beginning of the church, to that moment when the disciples decided to, to round out the crew, to, to fill the carton of apostolic eggs, to welcome a new number 12 into the fold. How did they do it? Well, they prayed. That was a good start. And then after that, they threw a couple of ping pong balls in a bag. One of those balls read Joseph Barsabbas, also known as Eustace, a, a long name for a ping pong ball. And the other read Matthias. Someone reached in the bag and pulled out the Matthias ball. And the rest is history. Right out of the gate, the score for the church is random and chaotic, one, decently and in order, zero. Now some of you, are no doubt wondering, does it matter? Matthias versus Barsabbas? Who cares? 
And you may have a point. In a way, this story is sort of a biblical shrug. In all of the good book, this is both the first and last time we hear about either of these two guys. Other early Christian texts suggest that Barsabbas went on to become the bishop of a church somewhere south of Jerusalem. And other documents claim that Matthias went, and I quote from the well-known synopsis of Dorotheus, to preach the gospel to barbarians and meat-eaters in the interior of Ethiopia. Sidebar, I have it on good authority that this is exactly what our new executive pastor, Jonah So, told his wife on receiving the call to serve Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. I must go to preach the gospel to barbarians and meat-eaters. Pray for me. Okay, I've got a point here somewhere, and it's this. It doesn't seem to matter which ping-pong ball got picked. Both Joseph Barsabbas and Matthias went on to spread the good news. They went on to start Christian communities. And today, we celebrate their efforts. Today is Pentecost. It's the birthday of the church. It's the day we remember disciples of Christ, women and men, the newly minted 12 together with other believers and friends and hope mongers, those filled with the Holy Spirit running through the streets of Jerusalem, speaking about God's deeds of power in every language under the sun. Pentecost, though, is more than an anniversary. It's a description of our shared calling. All Christians are tapped to leave the safety of the upper room and to spread the good news of Jesus Christ, to speak grace and forgiveness, justice, love, and hope to the world. We are all called to embody the good news in word and deed. And Pentecost acknowledges that this calling is not always or even mostly, an easy gig. While the world needs good news, while this broken planet with its pandemics and shootings and toxic politics needs Christ's good news like human beings need fresh air, Pentecost cautions us. Discipleship is no picnic. You know this already. But it bears repeating, the world isn't going to go out of its way to thank you for your trouble. The book of Acts tells us that when the disciples run out into Jerusalem's streets and begin speaking about God in all sorts of different languages, they encounter folk who were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, says Acts, sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. See that, says the book of Acts? The world is easily confused by people of faith. People out there cannot tell the difference between someone who's intoxicated and someone who's filled with the love of God. Society is not sure who to trust. 
And this presents a challenge to the church. A couple of years ago, one of our members told me that he'd had a rough week. He described a phone call that he received from a telemarketer. The telemarketer wanted to come and visit. Visit? The man blasted the caller. Under no circumstances do I want a visit or a sales pitch from you. But you don't understand, said the voice on the other end of the line. This is Werner from the church. I want to come and visit you. I want to pray with you. Werner from the church? Yes. Oh my. So the man confessed to me, my week began when I told one of our pastors where he might want to go. <laughs> Those shaped by Pentecost know the drill. Being from the church requires holy patience and inspired persistence. Trying to speak the language of God's love to a hurting world can plunge us into some pretty unusual situations. My friend and church elder here, Eric Daniels, tells the story of delivering a meal to a person in Greenwich Village during the height of the pandemic last spring. Knocking on the door of this shut-in's apartment, Eric announced himself, it's Eric from the church. I'm delivering your meals on heels. Don't come in, a voice shouted. I won't, Eric assured her handing over the bag of lovingly prepared food with hands encased in silicon gloves. There was a pause then. Evidently, the voice expected a bit more. Did you bring toilet paper? Um, no, I didn't know you needed it. They're out everywhere. Really, would you like me to bring you some? Would you, please? So Eric went off in search of that precious commodity. I like to picture the newest disciple, Matthias, doing the same sort of thing. Chosen by lot, commissioned by the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, I like to picture Matthias knocking on the doors of meat eaters and barbarians saying, hello, this is Matthias from the church. From the what? The church, you know, the people who follow Jesus, our risen Lord, we don't want any. Any what? Whatever it is that you're selling. I'm not selling anything. I just want to bring you some good news and some hope. Well, could you bring us some toilet paper? Well, yes, I suppose I could bring that too. My friend, the gifted preacher Tom R., tells a similar story about Rebecca. Rebecca was a member at the church where Tom was serving, but she never came to worship. One day, a deacon from the church, Peter, as part of an every-member canvas, went to visit her. Rebecca's yard was unkept. The shrubbery was overgrown. You couldn't even see in the windows. Peter knocked on her door. It opened slightly, but the chain stayed on. Peter said, good morning, I'm from the church. A voice responded, I don't go to that church. Peter said, I know, but you're still part of our 
church family, and I just wanted to come by. I don't go there. Peter noticed that she had a coat on. It was cold, even in Florida. It was winter. The temperature was in the 30s. She was wearing a coat inside. She closed the door. Peter went back to his office. He had a space heater under his desk there to keep his feet warm. As that heater cycled on and off, he kept thinking about Rebecca. At lunchtime, he got back in his car and ran back out to her house. He took the heater with him. It's Peter from the church. I thought you might want this heater. She was silent for a moment. And then came the voice. Could you show me how to turn it on? Sure. Rebecca was a hermit. She lived in a four-room house cluttered with the stuff of her life. She had no heat in there and little food. Peter plugged the heater in and showed her how she could move it into her bedroom at night. It started a connection between them, that little space heater. And eventually he just started stopping by. It's Peter from the church. Uh, I've got some groceries. It's Peter from the church. Uh, I thought you might like me to trim some of your shrubbery back. Three years after this all began, the church held a memorial service for Rebecca. In her simple will, she left her savings account to the church, $3,211. A note attached to her wishes said, I want the church to have this, because when everyone else had forgotten me, that man from the church wouldn't leave me alone. It's Pentecost, my friends. Today we celebrate that God's answer to all the anger, all the heartache, and all the cynicism out there is the church. Like it or not, God's response to the troubles of the world is to offer it an, an imperfect community filled with sinners, stumbling, but still beautiful, still striving toward the good. All of which is to say, God's answer is you. Don't wait since Pentecost for your name to show up on a ping pong ball. You. All of you, hearts on fire, Jesus-loving, spirit-charged people, you have work to do. You are called. You are called to get out there, to carry good news, space heaters and even toilet paper, to barbarians and meat-eaters and to anyone who feels abandoned by the world, to spread the good news to folk who don't even know how hungry they are for a different sort of fair. Empowered by the Spirit, go out and be the church. Have courage. Hold fast to what is good. Do not return evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. Honor all people. Love and serve the Lord. Amen.